Welcome to East Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. Blade Runner 2049. Yes, you said you could never get into the original one, that you really don't like it, that it's so dull. I've watched the original a couple of times, and I tried to watch it again the other day when we booked the tickets mm. for this. Um, I liked it more the other day. Uh-huh. I, I respected its visual style an awful lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose it's kind of it's tone and it's pace. I think actually I was underestimating it when I first saw it, but I still think it's boring, basically. Right. Unfortunately, and that's and that's actually a real problem, particularly for a police procedural, which is what it is for quite a lot of it. It's a detective story at heart. So generically, it's a detective story. It's got a lot of other stuff on top of that, but actually the detective story aspect is not gripping. Yes, and I find the rest of it boring on top of that. That's wow. just, but it's essentially. It's not a bad film, it's just not my cup of tea. I was wondering when you said that, whether it's just that... I mean, the difference between uh, uh, Blade Runner and now, the original Blade Runner and now, is almost the same as between Casablanca and Blade Runner. Mm. Yeah, so you know. Yeah, we're nineteen eighty-two. So yeah, and you know, Casablanca is nineteen forty-two, and the film is aping mid-forties styles of dress and haircuts. The original Blade Runner, right? It's referencing those Humphrey Bogart films of the mid-forties. So, so actually, it's very interesting that you know the difference between nineteen eighty-two and now is thirty-five years. Yeah, right. So there's almost like the same uh, uh, number of years difference between this film and the original. And the original and the films and the style of film it's referencing, and I'm only mentioning that because I think, I think you're right about the procedural, which is why I think the film was a failure at the box office. But I think what you're missing, you know, what got people so gripped and culty and interested in the film, was that the questions that it was asking about what it is to be human, you know, the connections between human and machines, kind of, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of those were kind of new, you know, and they yeah, felt, absolutely. Uh, 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 you know, whereas now they're it's all It's a film past. that's very much of its time in some respects. Yeah. So, but those questions now, you know, every little B sci-fi film yeah, exactly. yeah, has made them. So I think actually that element of shock of, of the new, of taking something seriously that, uh, you know, heretofore had it. Also of being part of a larger web. I'm thinking of, you know, the William Gibson New Romancer novel mm. and things like that. Um, you know, that's kind of like uh, hard to recapture. On the other hand, you know, it, it does still seem to, to grip students quite, yeah. you know. Uh, so, anyway, since you didn't like the but original... One, one other thing about it which is important, I think, to mention as to a reason that um, I've, I've never been gripped or it's never turned me on, the original, is that the conversation around it is so heavily dominated by the question of whether Deckard is a replicant or not. Yes. Uh, whether he's an android and doesn't know it or whether he's a human. And um, and I've never... F- although I think it is interesting in some respects, um, I've never found it to be gripping enough. I think the film... I don't actually think the film is that ambiguous about it, although it depends on which of the ten versions of it that you see, because yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. always little minute detail differences. Um I think there's, there's this thing about the unicorn dream, and then the other uh, the other police officer Gaff mm. leaves a unicorn origami thing. Yeah. So that that to me is like the kind of one unassailable bit of evidence that says he is a replicant for me at least. That's what it always was, and I kind of thought this isn't an ambiguous question. It's not ambiguous enough. And actually, the other 
things about the film are so much more interesting, but no one talks about them. Mm. This whole question is, is he a replicant or not? I've never found that to be an important enough question or an interesting enough question, and it's all people seem to, to think about. Right. Well, in, in any case, now in the new version, we have the answer, so... Yeah, now, now <laughs> it's uh, very clear. Well, Ridley Scott always said as well, he always... Well, I don't know, always, but eventually when someone... When he got sick of the question, maybe, he said he's a replicant, and it's just, that's the way it is, yes. as far as I see it. Which is not to say that, like, you know, the author's answer is the answer, but he gave you what he thought, mm. and he never... Well, in other words, he was never saying, I meant this to be a question that you couldn't answer. My feeling right now, and we've just seen it, like, you know, about 10 minutes ago, is that I love this movie more than any Ridley Scott film I've ever seen. We should we should um, clarify that it's not directed by Ridley Scott. It's That's produced, right. obviously. It's directed <laughs> by Dennis Villeneuve. That, that was the point I was... Who did arrive <laughs> in Sicario. Um, I, I mean, I think... Yeah, you know, you're right. I think it's absolutely extraordinary. I went in with low expectations because I thought... I, I do like Dennis Villeneuve, but I think he has the capacity to be extremely dreary. And I find the original Blade Runner extremely dreary. So I went to this thinking, what is this combination going to be? And actually, it's not dreary. It's slow, and it's atmospheric, and it has a, a command of tone that is... It, it is slow, but in a way that's so confident. Let's find another word, because slow is a real turn-off. People equate slow with boring. Okay. And, and I think that this is contemplative in a way, right? Like, I mean, I I didn't look at my watch once. No. Right, you're completely gripped and interested by everything that's going on on screen and you lose track of time. It's over two and a yeah. half hours long. Yeah, and it's, you know... I, and it feels like it. I, I, I didn't feel like it. I it doesn't feel like it's dragging, but it, but you sense that there's a lot of time passing, yeah. I think. it's. I think it's a contemplative film. There's a yeah. lot going on, right? Uh, and there's a lot going on that's interesting. And, you know, it's got some of the most beautiful visuals I have ever seen in cinema. I mean, Roger Deakins' yeah. cinematography is so interesting. It's so beautifully done. There are so many scenes in, that stand out. And actually, that you know, from, from minor things to the way that, you know, the way that black people are lit in the film to actually, you know, the huge long shot of you know the children being enslaved right which was just like absolutely perfectly lit you know you could see kind of I wanted to pick up on the lighting and the cinematography not only did I think it was one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen in the way it's shot and the visual design but the lighting I have so much it's a problem actually I had with Arrival was I wanted I was just going where are the lights turn on the lights this mm. is dull and dark mm. and this is a film that is bathed in darkness but you can see everything yes it has it, it, it it's conveying darkness and shadows but you're never fighting to actually see things yes. it's incredible it's a film that's encased in dust right so the setting is a futuristic los angeles that's just encased in dust mm. basically right so and so that in itself has its own beauty right but then what happens is you know that the light that comes through is like a kind of light going through a fog so there are all these different types of orange tones right yeah like the, sunsets yeah like sunsets that look like sunsets but really it's kind of like well, the light's kind of harsh and diffuse at the same yeah. time it it'll kind of sort of strike a wall coming through a window and it'll be there'll be high contrast between that and the shadows around it but yet it's kind of got these soft edges yes so it's this hazy feel to it yes I found it so beautiful and, and actually not just in terms of the lighting because the whole thing about some of those images you know that really stand out for you that you know like 
the moment where um, Joe, the Ryan Gosling character, uh, holds this this little flower, this little yellow flower that he picks up at the base of a tree, right? And you know, so you have like this huge close up of him, kind of almost caressing this flower, right? It's just so you know, both beautiful and meaningful. Yeah, kind of, there's a conceptualization to these images. It's not just mm. kind of the filming of them, right? And there are all these recurring gestures of hands, right? And hands touching, and hands kind of not being able to touch, or kind of touching through an intermedi- intermediary, either through a machine, or, you know, trying to touch through glass, or, yeah, the film is full of those gestures, right? You know, that are then kind of beautifully lit and resonant, and, like, so imaginative, the scene where... The love know, scene. Yeah, the love scene. Unbelievable. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. It's just conceptually kind of... Well, it's like they watched... It's like her, right? But one-upped. Yes. It's something else. Mm. I was I was not hugely gripped by her, although I do respect her an awful lot. This mm. this this was a love scene which was very similar, where he, he's in love with a, a computerized woman, essentially a virtual woman. Yes. And then a, a surrogate is brought in, a prostitute in this case, to uh, kind of embody the woman. Yeah, to enable carnality. Yeah. Right. But so, it's um, visually, uh, it's on another level. Yes. And I think what was interesting about that scene is that this machine has feelings and loves and cares, right? And that's the one thing, the one thing that, that, that they can't cross over is the, is the carnal aspect. She remains kind of like a, you know, an electronic kind of, yeah, but, but she's got a personality and she's got a history and she loves, right? It's actually taken for granted in this film that um, the, the um, robotic and electronic people do have this aspect to their lives, and actually, um, there's one point where uh, he, um, the Blade Runner character uh, Joe Ryan Gosling, is asked to retire, kill, um, essentially a, a kind of a human. It's a, it's a replicant that's supposed to have been born, yeah. which is a, a new development in in replicants. Um, and he says, "I've never," uh, he says, oh, no, "I've never had to kill, never had to retire anything that was born before. Yes. It has a soul." Yes. Um, but it seems actually that the the thing in the film which has the most soul is the thing that doesn't even have a body. It's a purely virtual. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I don't know because it's very interesting that he uses the word soul there, because actually, I mean, I think for me, um, you know, the theme of the film is that anybody who has the capacity to love is human. Mm. Right. So actually what the film is saying is something kind of slightly other or, or actually adding or, or not adding, displacing this, this question that Ryan Gosling has. I've never, you know, I suppose they have a soul because they're born rather than made. Well, actually, kind of, you know, the, what the film does is something else is, you know, kind of those who love are human. Right. Kind of, yeah. Are mm. Kind of. Uh, 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 and the film kind of shows you know, all those different ways of loving that all involve a kind of loneliness and distance and sacrifice and longing, right? Like kind of, you know, so 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 um, Deckard, you know, the, I, I mean, he, he loves by having given them up completely so that they couldn't be traced, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of Ryan Gosling and his virtual, you know, girl can... You know, the, I mean, the love is their feelings, right? And they, they, they kind of have a history of... Of, of going through them, but actually they can only really connect through an intermedi- intermediary, uh, the, um, 
uh, uh, Ryan Go- the the Deckard when he finally meets his child, you know, can only do so through glass, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I, I find you know that you know the way that the film visualizes both feeling and also kind of you know the fact that we're all alone, that we're always at a remove, that you know we we're always trying to connect. Yeah, but that there's a gap in between. I thought that was so moving and beautiful, really. Yeah, the world prevents them from being able to do so, but they kind of they strive, they strive, and they fight. Yeah, and it's a kind of it's like a Jurassic Park thing. Life yes. finds a way. Yes, <laughs> I thought the final image of Ryan Gosling expiring in the snow, right? Like, yeah, having fought for something bigger than himself, right? You know, he finds something kind of worth dying for. Dying for the right cause is yeah. brought up in the film and that kind of becomes something he believes in. Yes. I thought, that, you know, but that image, right, of him uh, yeah. sitting down, and actually it's it's an image full of disappointment because, you know, I mean, throughout the film, he thinks he's Deckard's child. And actually, you know, you find yourself hoping that yeah. <laughs> it will be so, it would be so neat you know, and then kind of the film offers twists. I thought it would be too neat, actually. I, yeah. hoping, I, I, I thought it would, and I didn't think it would be disappointing if he had been, but I hoped he wouldn't be. That was too, would have been too neat. I think you're right. I agree. It would have been too neat. And actually the film handles it beautifully. Yeah. But, you know, that image of him expiring on the snow, just like, you know, stretching his body on the cement stairs you know, with just snow falling on him. Mm. It's like so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of and actually part of the message there he's 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 led a life worth living, right? Even at the moment where he expires. Yeah. I thought that was terrific. Because the moment he expires the connection between Decker and his daughter is being remade. Yes. Or made for the first time. Yes. And actually, you know, that means that things can happen and a redefinition of what it is to be human um is, has changed. Yeah. Um, it's it's fucking wonderful, man. So what it's other so elements? I mean, you... I'm so glad that I went in with such low expectations. But even if my expectations had been high, they would have been exceeded. Uh-huh. I was just totally taken by it. So what other elements grabbed your attention? I I loved the the, the plotting of it actually and the storytelling. There were there were moments where there was one or two moments in the procedural aspect. Again, this begins with the procedural where he's tracking down. Uh, particular replicants and following clues and so on, which works wonderfully. There were moments in it where things didn't seem to quite make sense. Why was he going off to a certain location? I don't remember exactly what the clue was that led him there, and I still think one or two of those might be not explained well enough. But um, what it then does is it, it, it so it brings up this idea that um, there is a, a replicant child that has been born, which rep- which isn't supposed to happen. This needs to be covered up. They need to be eliminated. He then begins to believe, because this, this was supposed to have happened about 28, 29 years ago, and he's about that age. Um, he begins to believe that it's him. And you are led down the garden path um, very fairly. The film never tells you explicitly this is what's going on, nor does it dissuade you from it. It just gives you the right levels of information. It doesn't lie to you. Mm. Um, and then when the revelation... Uh, uh, comes out that it's um, that it's not him and it's this girl instead that he's encountered along the way. This girl who builds dreams for androids. It makes perfect sense. Everything sorts into place. And actually, there was a couple of questions that I had 
you know, which I hoped would be resolved by the end because I thought these questions, if they're not resolved, mm. I'm going to feel really disappointed because they haven't. But, but so, what were those questions? Well, um, there was a question particularly about um, his dreams. So, uh, so Joe's boss, Robin Wright, who's wonderful, um, says, "Tell me a memory that you have," and he and he says, "I don't, I don't have memories; they're implanted." So he's a replicant, and we know that from the start. Uh, so he says, I've, I've, this memory isn't real, but here it is. And it's a memory of him in, a, in this kind of workhouse when he's a, a young boy, sort of 10 years old, being chased by some other boys because he has this little wooden horse. And he says, this is the only thing of mine. And so I had to hide it. And he, and he hides it behind this furnace and then he gets beaten up. But he never reveals where it is. Later on in the film, he, he is led to this workhouse um, by, the, by the, the, the trail of clues. And he recognises it. And, he, and so he takes a moment for himself and he walks off and sees this furnace and it's an unbelievable moment and again it's 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 drawn out mm. and it feels huge because this is this is this is epic is he going to find this this carved wooden horse is is this going to turn out to be real what is going on mm. and he eventually finds it so then this question is what so so he must be he must be Deckard's son then he must have been born to mm. have actually had this memory because the the wooden horse is there it wasn't an implanted memory this is real mm. he meets the girl who uh, makes makes memories for robots um, and she she sort of actually looks she analyzes this memory of his essentially. And she says, this really happened. Mm. I found that slightly disappointing. And I still think, actually, this only the film hasn't quite answered. I think it, because it, what, the, what the question should be is, was this real? Was this someone else's real memory that was put in my head? I think the film actually... I Which thought, he does ask, but then what she says is, this is someone's real memory. Well, I thought not, that was... Not that it's your real memory. Exactly. Which keeps the film honest, right? Because actually, her saying... You know, this is a real memory rather than saying this is your real memory. Right. The film is not lying about it's not it's not saying that this is your real memory because that would be a lie. But the fact that she says this is this memory is real, this happened. The film plays it as this huge moment that proves he must essentially it, that he must be he must be Deckard's son. Which the film isn't telling you that, but the film's playing it as this huge revelatory moment. But we already know that the dream that the memory is real because we found this horse. Yes. So that scene, that particular line of dialogue, which is the climax of that scene, is giving you no additional information. Well but it's, it's just confirming that this actually happened. No, it's actually kind of adding an element of tension even as it you know is giving the impression of a revelation Revelation, which I thought, you know, was was really beautifully handled because, you know, so on the one moment, uh, on the one hand, Joe, for Joe, this is a, conf a kind of confirmation that, you know, he is that child who's been born of replicants. But actually, the way that she phrases it made me kind of doubt that possibility. So, you know, on the one hand, you accept it, but on the one hand, you you acknowledge that it's not a final answer, that there could be a twist on it. That, yeah. that, that, so it I may thought be that was very cleverly done. It may be up to a personal, personal interpretation, because I felt that what that scene was doing was giving you this kind of ultimate nudge in that direction without going so far as to lie to you. And I, I don't think it was... Um, 
I don't think it was asking you to question it, which I think you will later do. Mm. Um, but at that moment, at the moment, I'm thinking this this scene is acting as though it's a revelation, but it's simply confirming something we already knew. Yeah. Maybe it's that. Maybe it is implying that Joe is only hearing what he wants to hear. Maybe, maybe I'll. Maybe that's to be. Yeah, maybe that. Maybe I should be fair to it and say that actually it's it's more from his point of view that the the emotion of that scene is from inside his head. He's hearing what he believes is a confirmation, but he's hearing what he wants to hear. Mm. Maybe. I, I don't know. I felt a little shortchanged by that moment because I thought, yeah, I, 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 I didn't. Thought. I saw an ambiguity but that's, there. That's uh, you oh. know, it's one moment in a film that is full of the film is detail full. and character and ugh. and and also very, very, very much acknowledging its root source. Not only through bringing in uh, the James Edward Olmos character uh, and using footage of the original film of, of Sean Young uh, playing Rachel. But actually, there were some things that I thought were just, you know, very subtle but magnificent. So, you know, there's there's a moment where uh, Ryan Gosling does this gesture with his hands, which is, which is, you know, almost identical to Rutger Hauer, you know, that moment in the rooftop where he's explaining to... To, to to Harrison Ford, you know, about his desire to live. He does this thing with his hand, and Ryan Gosling reproduces that. I thought it was also very interesting that the prostitute real person is dressed very much like Daryl Hannah mm. in the original film. Yeah, that orange wiggy type hair. Mm. Yeah, so, and, and not to speak of the Vangelis music, right, that kind of recurs, yeah. you know, throughout the film. I think, I think the, you know, there are threads of the first film yeah, or there are echoes of uh, in uh, Blade Runner two thousand forty nine of the first film, uh, but they're only echoes, right? So you see a kind of a continuity, but it's not made overt or manifest, or it's not you're not bludgeoned with it. I thought it was very, very subtle, but very beautiful. I, if you if you've seen the film, you recognize it really. You. It has a relationship with its own history that is very delicate and very considered, mm. and it's not. Um, because that, because I mean, what are the odds? Do you think that that uh, a good proportion of the audience has not seen the original Blade Runner? I, I, I don't know. I mean, there's always there are always those odds. I mean, you know, I was in a class today where you know only ten percent of the people knew who Marlena Dietrich was. Mm. You know, so um, my impression is that it's a big cult film. It's never been out of print. It's always available on video you know, or on DVD or digitally. It's been referenced in so many ways that I just think it's one of those cult films, you know, that if you're a teenager, you've seen, right? And I think there will be a good... It'll be interesting to see what the box office is because actually that will tell because if this film that was a flop in 1982 all of a sudden has a massive opening weekend, actually it's because of those people who, yeah. who are familiar with the original. So, and my impression is that, you know... A, a great number of people are familiar with the original. Yeah. I, um, I think its relationship with its with its predecessor is it's it's convincing and it feels natural. Mm. It feels like there has been no effort to to force things in. 
that, that were in the original. I mean, he, like you say, Gaff shows up, who mm. is the, the, the guy who makes the origami mm. in the first film, and he just shows up for a scene just to point you in the right direction, and it's lovely to see him, and mm. he's gone. So, But even then, it, that's not it, it's not forced in, it's not crowbarred in, he has a purpose, and he has a reason to be there. Um, these clips that are played from the original film, in, in uh, they're, they're put in as sort of audio logs, um, the idea that everything back then was just being recorded. Everything there's a robot in every room recording mm. everything, and they, yes. they all exist. Again, this feels very natural. And then the way that the story develops, it's not doing, for instance, what The Force Awakens did, which is saying the structure of mm. the film from forty years ago. Let's repeat it, mm. you know, and just and just put new characters in. It's it goes in a completely different direction. I had no idea what the story would be doing. It's a great story. Actually, I hated the trailer because the trailer said something about. He's got an army. The mm. villain in this film was supposed to have an army in the trailer. Mm. And I thought, oh, great. This is going to be crap. This mm. gonna, what, an army of robots? This doesn't show up in the film. The film is totally something else. Mm. It's this story about all of a sudden um, the the replicants can do something different. And that that poses a new challenge and a new set of, set of problems for what their, what their, what their personality, what their identity is, what they mean to society, how... How they how they operate and and what their status is and uh, are, do, are they living things? It, it's it, it it asks a lot of the same sort of questions as the original film does, but it brings in this completely original plot. And also, I think it evokes different feelings. Yeah, you know, which I think the the original film did so in this kind of movie way, right? So Harrison Ford is wearing his raincoat and he's in this Chinatown thing in the rain, and it's actually meant to evoke you know, 1940s films. But actually, what this film does, which I think is vastly superior, is the whole beginning of the film, you know, the whole first section of the film, you feel Ryan Gosling's loneliness like an ache, right? You know, kind of, he is a machine. He lives this terrible life where, you know, he works all the time, he gets shot at, he returns to an empty apartment, right, where kind of people are abusing him for being a machine, and he's got this virtual reality girlfriend Life. for company. He has virtual reality food. And he has, he, virtual he has reality this kind food. of gruel in a bowl right. that is then has this VR beautiful dinner put on top of it. Yeah, so, so that sense of disconnectedness, of alienation, of life barely being worth living, of being like completely shut down. You know, the film evokes that so beautifully. And also the striving to move away from that to connect even yeah. if it is only to a virtual reality machine right like I, you know I thought that was all you feel it whereas like you know I never felt that in the original like you in the original you feel it referenced but you don't the film itself doesn't create that feeling in you mm. right he externalizes uh, nothing Ryan Gosling he yeah. has he, he, he has this this uh, stoic Unmoving demeanor. Yes. Um, which, you know, partly is there to help you believe that he's a robot, which he is. But, yeah. But and actually, I, he just internalizes everything. He has, he has no reason to express anything, uh, any emotion visually. Who's going to respond to it? Yes. And actually, I think maybe the casting is interesting because I think maybe that's why there were so many questions around Deckard, you know, because 
Harrison Ford is the least, you know, if I were to build, like, a robot, you know, you would build a Ryan Gosling, yeah. right? Like, Harrison Ford's a cool guy. He's Harrison Ford people. is too angry and pissed off at the world and ornery to be a machine, right? Like, <laughs> you know, kind of, you would have built something, some, some, something more docile, more obedient, more, you know, kind of, yeah. yeah? The perfect but, movie robot was always um, Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator 2 because he can't even act. Yes. Like, at least Ryan Gosling can act like he can't act. Yeah, well, you know, more is more. <laughs> is required of these of, of of him here right so on the one hand there's this kind of blankness and perfection and actually i thought that was the beauty of his performance that as the film unfolds you know that blankness gets fleshed in and you know and imbued with feeling and desire mm. and want and lack right kind yeah. of you know there are these uh, moments of contrast where just very occasionally a loud moment in this sea of silence Mm. Where he, he, he at one point he screams and is from. It, it's a payoff to an hour and a half of build up where there's been very little show of emotion from him. It erupts in this one particular moment. He ch- he changes in that moment, mm. and it means so much because you spend all this time without that anything of that nature happening. You know, if Harrison Ford, if, if, if there'd been a moment like that in the original film, it wouldn't have yes. been nearly as significant. It's so it's so interesting because in a way the whole narrative structure is Oedipal in the sense that, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's a search for the father and then it's a search for to kill the father, right? Like, you know, it's kind of, it's got all of those things there. But it's also kind of so sad because it's at the moment that he discovers purpose and feeling and love, that's that's the moment that his life is over, really, you know. Um, Ryan Gosling. In, in what way? The moment that he discovers love? Yes, you know, uh, because the thing about him going to rescue Deckard rather than to kill him, you know, is a moment of self-sacrifice. It is like a moment of love, right? So, I mean, he's already lost, you know, the, the... the woman he loves, right? Yeah, the virtual reality. Uh, you mean right at the very, very end when Deckard's been taken by the corporation? That's right. right, right. Yes. You know? So, so he's found, you know, he 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 discovers that he has real feelings for his virtual reality girlfriend, right? Uh, then you know he finds a purpose in this kind of resistance type thing, and then actually you know he dis- he discovers that he's willing to sacrifice himself. And, you know, not only for the the cause, but actually also for another, you know, which in this mm. case is, is is Deckard. The cause is one of the weakest. The, uh, assuming you mean, by the cause, you mean um, the group of machines. sort of resistant yeah. machines. Um, that show oh, up. I liked it. Well, I, mean, I didn't hate it, but they, they're they in it so little. They show up in two scenes. But that's what I liked about it, you know, that because it... The theme has to develop, right? Because otherwise, this thing about once people discover that a child can be born of machines, then, like, you know, there there will be blood and dust and change and it'll be a a catastrophe of, you know, the world will absolutely radically change. Well, you know, you have to kind of indicate... (laughs) No, sure. But all all I mean is that... I'm not saying I want them to be in it more. I think the film... um, would not have benefited from that. But I think that the, the way they were used was essentially... They were used as... Uh, they they put a tracking device on him because one of them is the mm. prostitute. So they they because they 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 notice him. They go to approach him. Mm. Their, their leader is you know tells mm. the prostitutes to to go after um, Ryan Gosling. Put the tracking device on him. Later on, when they've tracked him, they pick him up and explain who they are. And so they're in they're in essentially two scenes. And it's simply that they 
felt like plot devices. Mm. They didn't feel, uh, although it is clear that there is um, a background to them and a history to this resistance. It's um, you're not you're not given any sort of. There's no real flesh on those bones. It, they are plot devices. They're there to make a couple of plot things happen. It's a plot device. It's really minimal, but I think it's really necessary. And for me, it functions very well. It is necessary. Um, the one thing I didn't like, or that presented a kind of niggle, you know, in, in what I think is otherwise like a great, great film. I'm uncomfortable with the way that women are represented in the film. It seems they're all either, you know, docile, um, love they're there to serve robots, them. yeah. With the exception of Robin Wright, who is in charge. Well, actually, there's two exceptions, because, you know, the other exception is Jared Leto's... Um, what does Henchwoman. he call her? Uh, uh, his right-hand woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, I forget what her name is. Um, but anyway... You know, so I think Robin Wright and this other robot are like the ninja yeah, aspects, <laughs> you know. And then there's like, you know, varying degrees of, you know, uh, 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 sex slave robots, right? You know, from those that are kind of advertised in holograms, which that, my God, is that's such beautiful imagery in the film as well. And it's heartbreaking. Um, you know, uh, to... Uh, um, to his virtual reality girlfriend, uh, which uh, uh, all takes place in a way in the mind and through a shared history, really. Um, but I kind of, I, I yeah, mm. that that. Well, the the heartbreaking thing I mentioned what is related to her because um, he, you, you see this relationship that he has with the virtual reality girlfriend. Um, where they essentially really care for each other and um, you really buy it, then she's um, killed brutally in, in this weird way. Like, she's not... There is violence in the film, but this is um, just stamping on the, the electronic device mm. within which she lives, um, which actually should have been a um, more devastating moment than it was. And I think it was undercut by the fact that when the woman does it, the, the right-hand woman... Uh, she she has a quote unquote snappy line. Yes. She says, "We hope you're satisfied with your products." Yes, because they're the people that sell it, and that undercuts the moment um, for me anyway. But mm. um, but anyway, so you, you see the relationship, and um, then she's lost to him, and then as he crosses a bridge, this hundred foot tall version of her holographic bends down from uh, from uh, one of these moving billboards, um, and it's. That's heartbreaking because it's although you knew she was a commodity, it's it couldn't be more obvious than when she's one hundred foot tall, staring in the face, and has a slogan saying "Everything you want to to see, everything you want to hear." Yes, but actually, what distinguishes them, and I think the, what the film does so beautiful, is that even though they're the same model, they're not the same person. Yeah, you know, and actually, what distinguishes, you know, one from the other is a shared history and feelings, right? Like, you know, uh, uh, um, or a shared history of feeling, yeah, love. Um, so I thought that was just, that was, that was just mm. magnificent, really. I think it's a great, yeah. great film. But that is the moment where he, he heeds the message of the resistance. Mm. Uh, he, it, the film uses flashback and um, in a way that badly handled could be patronising, but actually I think it brings back 
it, it calls back to the to these earlier things very well, and actually, I think it's justified. Mm. Um, so that the, the film calls plays back over, in voiceover the resistance leader mm. telling him, "Do you want to die for the right cause?" or something like that. Um, and that's at that moment where he where he sees the his his girlfriend or the, the advertising version that kind of his relationship with her is the most important thing and that's what motivates mm. him to yes. die for the right cause um, I want to mention a little bit about the performances because I think one of the things that's so impressive about, about Villeneuve is how 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 wonderful he is with actors and actually I thought this film was so interesting because the actors are wonderful right Uh, but then he he the film gives a visual dimension to their performance that is also wonderful, right? So I'm thinking here not you know like for example the Jared Leto character, right? He only appears what in two scenes, two brief, two, two brief scenes. scenes. I, I mean, felt he was a disappointment, not as a performer, oh, but as a pl- as a as a character. But but that's a separate. Maybe we can come back I, to that. I I I loved it. Uh, and obviously, it also references the first film. But I, you know, I was just thinking that the way his whole look is designed, right, and then how he's placed within the frame, is as much of the performance is 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 as much responsible for the impact as what Jared Leto brings to it. And I felt the same way about uh, the Ryan Gosling character, right? Like, yeah, kind of. It's like the actor. Is, there's a mise en scène of the performance. Which the actor is giving, yeah, there's, right? There's a that, visual aspect to the way in which the, the the shot is composed around them and including them. That is not. It's not simply saying like the set design is this and they're plonked in it. Everything is holistic. Yes, I, I mean I think what's the word synergy or yeah. Mm. It, each the the two elements make up more than the sum of their parts through doing it that way, right? Like you know, the, I mean the the performers are key. But then, you know, the way that lighting and placement and set design and costuming actually kind of enhance and, and, and kind of... Uh, so they, they create a context and enhance what the actors are doing, I think is just beautiful. And actually, the Jared Leto character is the one that made me think of that, right? Because of his eyes and his hair. And mm-hmm. actually, just his house and the way that that's visualized. I was going to say that the sets within which, or the world, you know, the, 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 the building within which he lives, this kind of giant, it recalls very much the, that kind of, um, sort of sci-fi updated Egyptian, uh, uh, sort of tomb, um, architecture. So he, he's, he's living within this, this kind of elaborate, enormous, ostentatious, uh, the Egyptian pyramids yes. as this kind of pharaoh, but he doesn't. He, who's around him really? He he again is isolated. Yes. He, he... Um, I I want to say also that for me the film, you know, one one of the things that we don't often talk about is, you know, films work partly if you know on the grounds that they succeed in eliciting particular emotions from you. So on the one, on the one hand, I found the film really moving. I just found it very moving. Mm-hmm. It has moments that are just like really 
funny and smart, right? Like the scene where where Deckard and Joe are running away and Joe just goes straight through the wall, right? I mean, that's that's funny. funny. That was a couple of jokes. Yeah. And then there are moments that really, like, uh, you know, tense me up, like with with, uh, uh, Jared Leto's assistant, you know. Uh, 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 Yeah, when she when she crunched the Robin the White gloves. character. Yeah. You know, I thought that was like really startled me. Right, <laughs> I jumped out of my seat. So, you know, it kind of uh, elicits all of those uh, uh, different feelings. And yet it's also, so it's very pleasurable in that way. It's beautiful to look at. And I think it's also one of those films that I want to see again, just because I feel... You know, like I, I haven't, I have that has got much more to offer me. Actually, I, it's a film that you that I can bathe in. I want mm-hmm. to bathe in it. It's, it's so feels so rich and dense, despite in some respects being quite minimalistic. Like there are only, there are a few characters per scene, and and sets are very often very bare. But it's it's beautiful and yeah. feels rich and deliberate and so well considered. The thing that you mentioned about the images is very interesting because the images often feel simple in the sense that, you know, it'll be composed of a few elements, right? But actually, those elements are combined to create something that is A, beautiful, and B, complex, right? That it has kind of a symbolic meaning. It kind of, it stays with you. And sometimes it kind of creates patterns that recur later on. Like, yeah, you, you, they're very purposeful, Mm. Um, and uh, and your eye can rest on them. It's not busy. There's not a million things going on. You actually can pay attention. One of the things that we haven't mentioned, uh, and that I'd like to, to get going in a minute, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, it's you know the last thing that I'd like to mention is the fantastic use of 3D. Yeah. It's the only 3D that I've seen that doesn't feel intrusive. Actually, for a long time in the film, I wasn't aware that I was watching 3D. Right. It kind of it feels so coherent. Right, and then there are moments, obviously, where you realize, where you see it, and you realize how well used it is. It actually does add another dimension, but not with things jutting at you, not with you know your your contemplation and immersion in what's happening, which is very great in this film. Without it, doesn't disrupt that. Right? I would say for sure that the idea that three D uh, is is used. Um to have things come out the screen is so rare these days. People have, have learned that that is uh, destroys the, the illusion of the film. So basically, since Avatar, maybe a couple of years before that, the film three uh, D has been used to go into the mm. screen as opposed to out of. Um, this film does it as beautifully as anything I've done. It things there are certain shots. Most shots, I agree. Actually, you don't really notice it, and I don't think there'd be an awful lot of difference between the three D and two D versions. Mm. Um, but there is just a, it gives a layer of of, of, of uh, an element of depth, an element of solidity to some of the world like when you see a kind of expanse of the world through a window mm. in a in a multi in a uh, you know a, a, from a high room mm. you, um you, you feel it you know you don't really notice it but you feel the the the, the expanse of nothingness yes. for the isolation particularly i'm thinking of when um deckard goes uh, when joe goes to meet harrison ford and they're just on their own mm. in this isolated kind of radioactive hellhole and it's just an expanse and you feel it then there are just a few shots where you really notice it, where things are built in layers, where there's there's rain on hitting a window right in front of you that distorts everything behind it, and and it's a shot that would work perfectly well. It's a shot that's taken from noir, basically, shot through you know people shot through a rainy window, but the 
the depth of then you know Robin right behind the window and then uh, um, Joe further behind that you sense it and you mm. feel it and, it and again it's beautiful and and evocative and so it's it's corporeal you know mm. it's it's a real it's a real pleasure again you bathe in it oh. I, another thing and then we really must end is you have to watch this on a big screen yes it will not be the same in on the a IMAX. small screen right like it just won't so don't kid yourself go to the cinema yes exactly there is one final thing which is the which is the one thing I wanted to mention about Jared Leto which is that if he's if he's meant to be a big villain he's a letdown he is interesting but there is there is this kind of idea on top of everything that the reason that um, people are going after you've got the police uh, going after the child because because they're like we need to keep order and this will destroy the world if they find out people find out that replicants can have children which makes sense um but, and and that's where joe comes in because he's uh, a blade runner so he works for the police um you have this other idea which is that the corporation which is not the Terrell corporation anymore it's this different corporation that's taken over um they who Jared Leto's in charge of they want um, to track down the kid because he wants to take over the stars. He wants to build... Uh, he wants to create millions and millions of replicants mm. and he can't do that with conventional technology. If they can if they can reproduce themselves and be controlled, then uh, then all of a sudden we can, we can explore the stars and take over the universe, essentially. Um, which is... Makes sense, but it feels a little bit of a tax on sort of supervillain plots which not very much is made of no, I, I didn't see it that way I mean and maybe that's something to think about I think it's also partly because Jared Leto is, is in these two scenes and he's isolated from everything else yeah there's no sense that he's going to meet I, mean, I think the you know in many ways the villain of the piece is Leto's assistant yes right but she's which acting for a large for him. part of the film I thought might end up being uh, 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 Joe's twin okay right uh, so I think the film has all kinds of interesting complications, and he's just a part. He's just a part of it. He's the he's the kind of the new creator, really. Um, yeah. There's this wonderful image, with, uh, where the, uh, a new hum- a, a new product. Is, new product is 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 dropped onto the floor out of this kind of plastic bag. It's wonderful, yeah. and and she's covered in this gloop, which. It's it's not it's not gloopy it's not liquidy it's but it's like more like, it's like clay it's like that residue you get on clay after forming it and I thought oh my god this is beautiful and then fucking Jared Leto's character actually says the word clay and I'm like oh well there goes my brilliant well, see, thing that I noticed I say it wasn't clay it, to me it's like the fluid the uh, what do they call aminal through fluid or whatever that you amniotic. get amniotic amniotic fluid but that's the point yeah. it's more solid than that. That, that that's why I thought this is like this is the residue that's, that's left on wet clay after you've sculpted it. Uh, no, I don't think that's so. really think, what it looks like. I think actually that's something that you see in many other. You see that in the Matrix as well. You know, the, the, no, no, no. I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm telling you, I'm not. I don't mean to get too, too, uh, het up about this, but it's there's something more solid to it. It's not just gloop, which is what you get in the Matrix. Well, it's it's J lube is what it is. <laughs> you know, and I think it's meant to have the connotations of amniotic fluid because actually, you know, she's dropped from a sack. Yeah. So absolutely. it's the amniotic fluid that's kind of. You know, it's like when newborn babies, they've got to be, like, clean. Well, I mean, actually, it, it's like the birth of, of uh, an elephant or something where it's dropped literally onto the ground. And you go, yeah. You know, it's so it is very much like that. But I think the actual, the, the, the specific consistency of this material that she's covered with, this residue, 
is exactly like Clay okay. Residue. Well, uh, you know, I'm skeptical, but I'd be happy to see it again and kind of test that uh, observation. The, the reason that I'm particularly pissed off, like I say, is because Jared Leto, I thought I've noticed something here. What a wonderful thing to have interpreted. And then Jared Leto fucking says it. Right. I was pissed off. Uh, anyway, let's leave it here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm late for work. Yeah. What a, what a wonderful film. Honest to God. <laughs> oh, no, I mean, I'm so... I'm so satisfied with it good <laughs> like, not like yeah, I, you know, I had to prove something to me but it's just it's out of this world yeah well good because you've been moaning for two days about it's so much better than Flatliners I mean proper sci-fi that means something and is well they're not even comparable exactly um, this is how it needs to be done the right. fog and everything the beautiful <laughs> fog the lights and fog and distant buildings with this okay shut fog. up now you've got to oh. go to work oh, <laughs> go to work. oh it's so good 